Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and after a lengthy break, this is still the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. I'm so very happy to be back with you after a two-month break that started out. It was planned to be a two-week break, but then we got hit by a hurricane. And things just kind of spiraled out of control. We had no power for 11 days. Um, the cleanup has been interesting. I still can't run my normal path because without dodging piles of, uh, of dead trees. The area still has not been cleaned up. It's, uh, it's been an interesting time. But I am really happy to be back. And I'm really happy to be back with um, my guest, Michael Anderley, who... This will be Michael's fourth visit to the show. The first time he was on the show, the title of that show was Zero to $10,000 a Month in 90 Days. And that show is still the most popular episode of all time for the author biz. And that doesn't even count the thousands of people that watched the YouTube video of Michael and I uh, talking, nothing more than talking, uh, essentially a video version of that show. Um, we're going to be talking about Michael's transition from indie author to successful indie author to wildly successful indie author to what he's doing now, which is becoming a successful indie publisher. Michael's company, LMBPN Publishing, is currently publishing over a dozen books a month and a half dozen audiobooks. It's, it's been incredible to watch what Michael's done. Um, my company, Camven Media, uh, does work for Michael. He is our single biggest client, and it's been a pleasure to work with him and all of the people that he has been uh, working with and to sort of be on the inside and see everything that he's done. It's just been absolutely fascinating. So in this show, we're going to be discussing Michael's first two years as an author and his transition from indie author to indie publisher. This show is going to go live on Thursday, November 2nd. We recorded it on November 1st. I will be on my way to Las Vegas when the show goes live for the very first 20 Books to 50K conference that's been organized by former guest of the show and a collaborator with Michael, Craig Martell. Uh, Craig will be hosting about 450 of his closest friends over what should be a really fun weekend. I'm, I'm super excited about meeting so many people out there. If you're going to be there, please look me up. And if you're there and you've got an interesting story to tell, then really, please look me up. I'm bringing everything I need to record a few podcast episodes out there, and I would love to talk to you. All right, let's get this one started. My first question to Michael was to ask exactly when he published his first book, Death Becomes Her. It would be this Friday, two years ago, November 3rd, 2015. Okay, and we're recording this on November 1st, 2017. This will probably go live on the 2nd, which will be 365 times 2 from the day that you published that first book. Pretty much, yeah. I think I opened the, you know how whenever you uh, you say you're going to have a book, you click open or, you know, load new book. Uh -huh. But it actually didn't go live until the next day. I don't have any money until November 3rd. And then in November, I'm trying to remember back from the first time we talked. It runs mm -hmm. in my mind that there was a seven. So it was either 17 or $27 in the first um, month. <laughs> no, the first month was gross 438 Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so that was kind of the gross amount. And obviously net was less than that. So it was in that ballpark of 350 for three books. And the, the first time you and I talked was January 2016, I think. Yes. And at that time, at the end of the show, uh, you mentioned this document that you'd written. And we put a link to it in the show notes that was essentially your roadmap to 20 books to 50K. Correct. Uh, which became a Facebook group, um, which now, two years later, is becoming a conference. Yes. And, um, and that conference is taking place now. while Two years to the day of the first book being released. And was, that, was, that, was the conference date planned in any way? Because you're not doing the conference. This is someone else. 
Yeah, Craig Martell is the one that actually, you know, Marine, Simplify, he's the one who got irritated with everyone going, we should do a conference. And he's like, well, <laughs> fine, I'll do it. And so um, he undertook taking it on. And then he, plus a host of support people who has helped him uh, locate the venue and everything else. It's really, it's a nonprofit. I mean, it's literally a situation where no one makes a penny off of this thing. So um, it's, it's an opportunity with Craig and others to give back. Even those that are coming here to speak are paying to go to the conference. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I did see online the other day where Craig said that if by any chance they happen to make any money with the conference, it's being donated to Kendall's for Troops or some, some organization very similar to that. Correct. Okay, so people know your story. If they've listened to this show, they know your story. But just in broad terms, your initial goals were a little modest compared to what's actually happened over the course of the last couple of years. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I could. I wish I had the timeline in front of me in in terms of when we talked. But um, you were three months. It took about three months for you to get to ten thousand dollars a month in revenue. Correct. Mm-hmm. And wasn't that much longer after that? I think that you were fifty thousand dollars a month. Um, in the July and August timeframe of twenty sixteen, uh, I was in the forty to fifty k. October with bonus, I crossed a hundred thousand, and then November. With no bonus, I crossed 100000 a month. Okay. And I remember almost a year ago, you and I were talking, and you were sort of laying out your goals for 2017. And among those goals were increasing your author rank and paying your collaborators a certain amount of money. And mm-hmm. first, let's define collaborator, and then we'll, we'll talk how that paying those collaborators has, has worked out. All right. Um, a collaborator to me is someone that's come into one of my universes and LMBP and publishing my company is very supportive and, and helps on multiple levels to make this collaboration work. Now, we work through story structure, story ideas, what can and can't happen in the universe. And um, so we have these arcs, these 12 book arcs set to th- sets of four in case the story doesn't really go where we want it to go, meaning from a financial standpoint, we can shut it down at four. If it's doing well, we can go to eight. If it's doing still doing well, we can go to 12. And then basically we're cutting it at that point. And so we help invest in covers and audio and editing and a lot of these other things. So we're basically a publishing company to that respect. And then, of course, we um, support the collaborators in their own books as well. So we don't ignore the fact that mm-hmm. you know they're an indie publisher we will you know, support and make sure that uh, we give shout-outs to their books and other things that are going on. And when you first started this, there were, I think it was Justin Sloan and Craig Martell were the first two of the collaborators. Mm-hmm. And... Paul, well, technically Paul Middleton oh, right, was right. someone mm-hmm. you know, before it. And Paul, uh, working through the process with Paul was one of the ways that we learned what it would take best and in, in, um, in, in ways to facilitate that collaboration process. And in the, over the course of the year, I've interviewed both Justin and Craig, and mm-hmm. they have gone from doing reasonably well as indie authors. Craig's, Craig's a really fascinating story just because he just works so hard. Both he and Justin work so hard and, and, and produce so many books. Uh, but Craig's like the hardest working man in, in authordom. And his, <laughs> we'll get him a T-shirt for that. Yes, and you know he's got a real blue-collar mentality. He doesn't he's not looking for that big hit to take him over the the top. He just wants to put that next book out, mm-hmm. and he's done really really well. And the collaboration with you has helped to increase his profile and his bank account over the course of the of the last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, by doing so, it's raised his author rank. Um, his, I, I see author ranks of both his and Justin's that are kind of extraordinary. Justin's got some cool new series that he's doing mm-hmm. with some other collaborators, hit collaborators of his. So he's sort of taking the model, using it on his own to do this. Uh, over the course of the last year, how's the collaboration model worked? Um, are you asking from a standpoint of like, I mean, fiscally, I can tell you that what my original goal was when we started this collaboration was not only hack um, personal ranking, but also trying to put money back into the collaborators' pockets. And so I had this kind of far-off goal saying, you know, by the time of December 2017 rolls around, 
I would like to personally make 150k a month, and I would like my collaborators, just the the joint amount, the the net um, from all of it, to be a hundred thousand dollars a month. And that was kind of a stretch goal. I mean, you're talking about being able to turn around in one month and put fifty thousand dollars back into the pockets of the collaborators. Mm-hmm. And I can say that it looks very likely we will actually. Um, well, we've already hit the hundred thousand. We did that two months ago. And it looks like we will actually hit a million dollars in collaboration revenue in 2017, which is a year earlier than I had originally hoped to be able to accomplish it and put in half a million dollars in their pockets. Okay. And this, when, when you started 2017, was it with an eye towards really building a publishing company or did the publishing company sort of come after the idea of the collaborations? No, actually the publishing company happened last year. I assumed I was publishing Michael Andrew. Mm-hmm. So I was publishing with one successful author. And so I knew that 2017, I wanted to build out LMBPN Publishing. So that's not, um, it didn't happen after the fact. So what we're doing now, and as we're stretching into 2018 and some of our goals that we're looking to go forward, it was always with the basis that I'm a publisher first who writes. Okay. And how, what's, what's the transition been like? I mean, you know, there is... as. Indie authors would look at what you did initially, which was roughly – you started out really rapidly, but you know, roughly a book a month. And okay. you know, lo and behold, two years later, uh, you're, you're publishing book 20 in the Catharian Gambit, and then you have three in the, um, the, the Michael series. So that's roughly a book a month over the course of two years. Yeah, it, it is book 19. Uh, I'd like it to be 20. God, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, it'd be like, you know, a, a dream. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, two Michaels by myself, plus a collaboration with L. Lee Clark, and then multiple uh, short stories and then in, in anthologies as well. So definitely call it somewhere in the 25 to 28 title range. Mm-hmm. And then another, I don't know, 70 collaborations <laughs> um, over the last two years. So a significant quantity. Okay. And this jump from indie author to indie publisher comes with the investment of capital. You're investing yeah. the profits that you're making as a successful indie author into building this publishing company. Has, how, what was your thinking when you decided to do that? Was, was your thinking, I'm going to take some of this money and try and build something? Like, did you have, did you have a precise plan or was it, let's just see how it goes? It was a little bit in between the two of them, unfortunately, I can say. But um, one thing that I think some individuals who've seen my success don't realize is that I had, you know, I was making 100000 a month. And I'm taking now a big chunk of that money and reinvesting it in capital, in books and everything. Because as a publisher, I look at it as I'm responsible for funding the covers and for funding audio and for funding editors. And, for, and when you go from one book a month, which at a high quality, you're talking, you know, anywhere from 600 to 1,000 for editing, and then another thousand for covers, and you know, so on and so forth. But now, instead of one book, you've got ten, mm-hmm. and instead of zero audio, we've got what four to six, seven. How many do we do a month? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know. I have you and I started working together about a year ago, a, a, a year ago this time in, in various projects, and now I'm sort of in charge of the audio stuff, which is just a blast for me because I love audio books. I love everything to do with narrators. They're just like my heroes. They're like baseball stars to me. So it's just, I get tickled every time I get to chat with one of them, but it's so much fun. (laughs) We've done 51 audio books in the last six months, seven, seven months. Not even, I mean, yeah, I think the first one was in like March or something like that. Yeah. End of February, we, we released it. And each of these comes with a cost. Each of these, you're not, you're not doing royalty share with the narrators. You're paying the narrators. Yes. Um, we do things a little bit different, and that was always by design. And I'd love to talk about this because I think you have a lot of insight. I don't. But it was by design that, you know, because we had such a cash flow opportunity, I wanted to make LMBP and publishing on the audio side a name that narrators would love to work with from nothing. And we have stories of talking to some really high quality narrators who, you know, didn't know us from Adam. But when we explain what our payment is, like, you know, we're half up front mm-hmm. and we'll pay you the other half upon receipt. There's no waiting 30, 60, 90 days for our stuff. And 
we have um, we use Slack, and and that seems to have gotten around that the narrators have this opportunity to speak with the artists and authors, and you know we go back and forth, and we implemented the author notes kind of stuff, and you know that seems to have done really well. And the, you know one of the coolest stories that there are two cool stories we have is um, one of them is just when it was did you reach out to the narrator? What's the story there? You know, you reached out and they knew who we were. Well, uh, let me let me go back a little bit because oh, in the very it. beginning, when when we would it, it started with you doing it and then it became me reaching out to these people and we'd have to send these lengthy emails saying who we are and that you know we're willing to pay you the money half of the money up front and you know please come and work yes. with us. It's just you know we <laughs> we really want you to come and work with us and narrate our books, and a few did, and. Over time, we, we built up these relationships with people, and you decided that it would be in our best interest, and we really did it for one narrator who was doing a lot of books for us, if we joined SAG-AFTRA so mm-hmm. that she could – all of her earnings for us could go towards health insurance for her. Yeah, I remember that. I mean I'll take a, a slight addition to that and say – you know. When that happened, when you and I were speaking to SAG-AFTRA, um, a lot of people don't know this about you, but you've been the CFO of major companies. You've run a dozen or however many entrepreneurial companies yourself. You are that silver-haired advisor. <laughs> and, and so for me to be on with SAG-AFTRA, I get to sit there and go, Steve, would you talk to them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm absolutely good with with whatever. I want to do the insurance, but, you know. I don't even know some of the stuff, and so I felt so good having you there to to represent, so to speak. Yeah, and it and it was fun, and and we have this agreement now with SAG-AFTRA, which gives us incredible credibility when it comes to bringing on new narrators. So essentially, we've reached the point where we ask the author, "Who do you want to narrate the book?" And fifty percent of them shrug and say, "I don't know," but some of them say, "Oh." It would be like a dream if so-and-so would narrate the book, but we could never get so-and-so. And then we go get so-and-so. And it's <laughs> now, it, instead of a 16-paragraph email message explaining who we are, it's, hey, here's who we are. Here's our relationship with SAG-AFTRA. We have a four-book series, could grow to 12. We'd love for you to audition for it. And it wasn't that long ago I got an email back from somebody who, who was one of those stretch people that oh, you'll never get so-and-so. It's like, I've heard all about you guys. I would love to work with you guys. And that was pretty cool. It is really cool. I mean, we had a situation the other day with, um, you'll have to explain his whole name because I forget his middle and he goes by it. But um, I think it was Justin like reached out to him and, and everyone we bring in that works with, with our company comes through Slack, bar none. Mm-hmm. You know, that is unfortunately for some individuals who don't want to work in Slack, that is a requirement. And so we bring this person in, they come into Slack and we're setting it up. And of course, every time you do audible, you have this potential. It is like, how do you say this name? How do you say that name? And so, you know, you've even done workarounds working with Martha Carr to get her to say what the names are, right? Mm. Yes. This absolute newbie and his uh, what is his name? Tim, Tim? Gerald Reynolds. And and Tim yes. was one of those stretch guys. Justin said, "Oh, I would love it if we could get Tim Gerald Reynolds, <laughs> but he'll never do my books." And he has been such such a great resource. He was scheduled 6 months in advance, but we decided we would wait because Justin mm-hmm. really wanted him. Um, and he has been a great resource for other people. Like if we need somebody with a specific accent or something, Mm-hmm. I call him and or email him, and, and he gives me some names. So oh, anyway, awesome. I'm, I'll, I'll pick up the story for yeah. you. We're in Slack. Tim was a little bit resistant. I've never used Slack. I kind of figured I'd have to sometime, but, uh, you know, I don't know. So here it is. He's like on his third or fourth day, and he needs these these names because all of these science fiction books, the people that read the books, just as readers, can't pronounce the names. Mm-hmm. No way a narrator could do it without help. So, you know, can you pronounce these names for us? And this like, sure, you know, what do I do? Can I record something? How do I do it? And he said, oh, there's a Slack app, and you can just record right into the Slack app. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I'd been using it for nine months and doing these crazy workarounds with people. It's like, okay, we'll get on Skype, and I'll record this with you, and then I'll make an audio, and I'll put it up there. It's like, you know criminy it was funny 
And now he loves it. After like a week and a half, he's talking about using it for his uh, soccer team, or not a soccer team, a rock climbing group. Yeah, rock, rock climbing. Group. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 that's been our experience there. So if you take nothing out of this, if you care to go the publishing route, look into, look into Slack, because even even made you a believer. Yes. Yes, it, it certainly did, and I did not need another method of communication at that time, but we have it, and it's, and it's terrific. But anyway, you know, we, we were going down this path about investment and, and the money that's, that's being invested. The audiobooks are roughly, because of the quality of the narrators we get, SAG-AFTRA contributions, et cetera, et cetera, they average around $2,500 a piece, so we've done 50 one audiobooks, do the math. Mm -hmm. It's a big investment this year just in audio. Yeah, and then you have Craig Pain in the Butt Martell, <laughs> whose book was $4,000. I mean, I I've been harassing him the last two days whenever he mentioned it again. I'm like, that's right, Craig. <laughs> Steve calls me up and he goes, hey, by the way. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, we're going to have a little bit of an expensive one on Craig. And I'm like, what do you, what do you, he goes, remember his book nine? 119,000 words, and usually I'm quicker than this. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's going to be a $4,000 book. I'm like, <laughs> So it's like, oh, my God. Way to go there, Craigster. Why don't you make book one 120,000 words instead of book nine? Now, one other thing, you may not know this, but, but listeners out there, if, if you go down the audio path and, and you're auditioning people and you're going to pay them rather than do a rev share – the audition material is the same for everyone, and they do it, and there's a timestamp on, on the audio, and there is a huge gap between different, different – with different forms of narration, different styles of narration. We have one narrator who's just phenomenal. She's wonderful. Her – a thousand words will come in around eight minutes, and another narrator that we use regularly who is also phenomenal – always comes in under five minutes. So when you think about that over the course of an 80,000-word book or a 60,000-word book, there's a big difference in the price. So it's something wow. to think about when you're auditioning narrators. Now, something else that, that you did, and you, you mentioned it briefly that I've never seen anyone else do, is the idea of the author notes. You put the author notes in the book, and that's a, a great way that you've used to connect with fans. And you've translated that into audio. So for your series, the Catharian Gambit series, you record your own author notes. And, yes. And then, so you are a part of the audio book. But what makes it interesting is the narrator records her own narrator notes, which is it, it's hysterical to hear. Oh, the, oh my God. It's Emily the, Beresford. She's amazing. So, she is amazing. And what happened is, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't say I lucked on because it was a lot of work. But anyway, it was really blessed to have Emily join me. And I was very specific saying, whoever does this, you know, you're kind of signing up for 21 books. And it's not, you know, because I hate as an audible listener, I really hate when the narrator changes. It just really messes me up. So I didn't want that to occur. And Emily was relatively new, and she, but she had what's going on, and she was really enthusiastic, and she could nail Bethany Ann's voice, mm -hmm. which was so important to me. And she could also do males, which was important. And so we're doing this, and I said, you know, I came back to her and I said, hey, would you mind doing your own version of all, you know, all these author notes? It's just what is it your experience? And she's like, sure, I can do this. Well, okay, two things. One, I didn't realize how awesome she would be in the first place. But the second was I didn't realize how horrible she would make me sound. So <laughs> – <laughs> because i mean she has this ability obviously when i'm typing or reading my author notes i'm just reading mostly what i said i will occasionally add updates like hey this isn't happening anymore or wow this was way off and so i'll occasionally add to it because um i'll start it with hey these are the author notes for we will build originally written on now being recorded on and then i'll go ahead and start doing something but emily i guess i guess i've never asked her but i presume she just speaks and she doesn't have ums and uhs and any of that stuff and they're all coherent sentences and i'm like just kind of jealous of her doing that and then now she's made them her own as well and i'm like i think she's got like a little fan group of just her you know her narrator notes 
It is. I, I'll say when I put the audiobooks together and upload them to um, to ACX each time, that's the one section that I listen to completely is is her narrator notes. And I'm always I'm sitting here with my headphones on. My wife is around the corner from me, and I'll just crack up laughing, and she'll just come running in like, "What's going on?" And it's just something that that Emily said, and it's it's so interesting because in the first book she was a little. Mm-hmm. Saying, she's never going to listen to this. She was a little stiff in the first book. In the second one, she was a little bit better. But by like the third or fourth book, she was into it. And it's like she's she's <laughs> making notes as she's recording now, as, as she's narrating the book, the things that she wants to talk about. And then she just lets it rip. And every so often, she lets <laughs> it rip into you. <laughs> yeah. Michael, how dare you do such a thing? Um, I'm already on 10 books past that. I don't remember, Emily. <laughs> and So I almost... I was a little surprised when I was doing the same thing with the first audiobook for L. Lee Clark's um, series, The Ascension mm-hmm. Myth. In those books, she writes author notes, you write author notes because you you co-write the series, and then the narrator, Pearl Hewitt, also did author notes. And I listened to Pearl's, and they were phenomenal because she had talked to talked to Emily and figured it out, and she did a great job. And I started listening to what I thought were L's, and it was the two of you doing them together. It, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was crazy. I'm like, this that is never L. going to work. And the first review for the audio book is, you've got to keep doing the narrator, or the, audio, the author <laughs> notes like this. It's just amazing. These things that you think would never work really bond the audio book and the narrator and the authors to yeah. the listeners. I completely agree. Yeah, I'll have to give Elle the credit for that one. I was traveling at the time that we were doing that one. I think I was in Europe. And she's like, you know, we got to get these done. And I was tired. You know, just you're traveling, you're doing the book fair, whatever you're doing. And so I get up there and do it. And by the end of the author notes, I am cracking up. She's cracking up. We're just laughing our butts off talking about this stuff. And and it's just energizing. And, and that goes through that you realize the authors are having fun doing this. Yes, Yes, and yeah, the fans love it. I don't know if someone that didn't know who you were and had never read any of the books before, I don't know what their reaction would be when they got to the end. They might love it too. Um, True. Yeah, you don't know. Um, All right, so you are an author-publisher now, a publisher-author now. Mm -hmm. Um, How many books, if you know, over the course of the last 60 days? How many books Um, have you published? Approximately 28. Okay. Approximately. So I would have guessed 30, but, uh, I think we hit 14 for two months in a row. So, okay. All right. Uh, plus audiobooks, plus mm-hmm. paper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How much of your time are you spending managing the publishing organization now? <laughs> um, it is often on, let's say the last week when I had to do 50,000 words on my latest book, not much, right? Because the infrastructure that's been built up is a um, opportunity in sharing the wealth and sharing the responsibility. It's really a situation of finding individuals that have the same publishing passion I do, taking the financial load off of them and allowing them to also build it bigger themselves. And they take the responsibilities. You know, we could go into the, the how is it done part, but the age of expansion with Craig Martell, mm-hmm. he's the one who's running that. And so while we're not seeing the books here until now this month, November, he's been working on that for three months to bring that to fruition. And then Chris uh, C.M. Raymond for Chris Raymond and Ellie Brabant, Lee Brabant, they run the Age of Magic. And so while if something happens that I need to get involved in, I do, generally it's only at the level of story and beginning of that stuff that I'm majorly involved, unless, of course, we have issues with Cartherian Universe rules or anything like that. They run it. And, of course, they're also getting a cut of the income from it as well. Okay, so let's, let's kind of talk about how that came to be because if, if someone's out there thinking, yeah, I want to do this, when, when you first began collaborating with these writers, how much of your time did you spend in the co-writing process or going over the material that they were writing to make sure that it, it would be right for your audience? Quite a bit. So not only was it um, both for, we'll talk to Craig and, and Chris and Lee, not only was it for explaining what is the universe about and explaining who these characters are, which you would normally do, but it's going through 
creating characters, it's creating plot ideas, it's creating the arcs. And then as they write, it's editing it to voice. It's mm-hmm. editing it for understanding what's going on. And, and um, the first two books, you know, I take them and I re-edit, you know, I read the whole thing and edit it. And then explaining going back, you know, here's the things that I think that are causing me problems. And it's like, hey, um, even in some of them that I don't necessarily personally oversee, if you know, I'll read the first chapter, see where we're going on, and, and occasionally have to go back and go, hey, this isn't working. This is not a Cretherian feel. And we have multiple layers to make that emotional congruency happen. And it can get stopped along multiple places because I think sometimes people presume that um, if I'm not personally involved in every book, it's like, oh, it doesn't have the, that guy's hand in it anymore. And it's just, it's another one. It's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. not even by a, a, a tiny stretch does that happen. Because we have not only those that are running the areas um, and the fact that the authors or those people obviously correct connect directly with me in, in Slack, but also we have the beta readers, the just-in-time readers, and those individuals who are a core component of the the success and the continued congruency will say, no. And they said it to me. I'm like, they're bringing, there's like, hey, such and such character won't do this. And I'm like, I wrote her. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean she won't do it? And I'll go back and look and go, okay, you know, they say it for a reason. So it means mm-hmm. that whatever I wrote, they didn't take my intention. I need to go fix something. So this is, I mean, you know, we're talking about building a publishing company. It sounds a lot like building any company. I mean, you start out, you're doing everything. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, there's a little bit more. There's, you can't do it all anymore. You need to bring someone in. And you train that person how to do this one part of the job that you used to do. And then you bring in the next person and the next person and the next person. And then as it grows, the first of those people, the ones that are right to, to kind of step up to the next level, then take over more responsibility. That's exactly what you're talking about with Craig yes. and Chris and Lee and – and, you know, in other universes, uh, Martha. So they've become mm-hmm. like world managers. Is there an actual term for them? I don't even know. Godsend. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well done. Okay. So, and then, so they share, they share in the revenue for the books the, that their universes or their worlds create, depending on, on where they're at. Correct. And correct. so Chris and Lee wrote, I think they wrote, Four books before the Age of Magic kind of came into being, or was it six? Uh, I think it was between four and five, okay. somewhere in there. So they, they were writing a series called The Rise of Magic, and mm-hmm. then it expanded into the Age of Magic. They and you started bringing in other authors who wanted to write in that world, and then it was a question of training those authors to write in the way that would satisfy the Critharian readers. Correct. Now, the the Age of Magic, actually, when we built the Rise of Magic, we knew okay. at that point that we intended to create the Age of Magic. It was it was designed from the beginning. So there was a lot of questions. Lee and I spent a lot of time on the phone going back and forth and, and understanding the mechanics of what was going on so that Lee, who within the Chris and Lee, you know, co-writer, collaborator group, Lee is the one who kind of keeps story and beats and everything else. Chris is the one who puts type fingers and does the first draft. Okay. So they already had that dichotomy. And the other thing that worked really well is the fact that these guys are university professors. Mm-hmm. They're used to seeing stuff and, and cracking it down and explaining how to do something. So they were natural uh, choices if they cared to do it. And they saw you know opportunity here, which I'm very thankful for. Okay. Now, I know there are people – who you've brought into the Slack group, who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing. So it's, this is not mm-hmm. like this big secret organization that, um, you know, we're, we're keeping everything in-house. Um, mm-hmm. so people just show up out of the blue. They're not writing in the universe, but it's like, hey, you know, so-and-so wants to know how we're doing this, and, you know, can you share some of the agreements with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're very open about what you're doing, how you're doing it, and if other people want to do it, have at it, Right. Pretty much, yeah. Um, not all of them in the Slack group. Sometimes I'll tell them to reach you through your Facebook, AuthorBiz. Uh-huh. AuthorBiz Facebook group. Go there right now. <laughs> and and so, but yeah, so we have um, Richard Fox and uh, Michael, which is MD Cooper. And I was just at Nellis Air Force Base with Michael, and we were talking about this. His company is pushing out seven books this month, or last month. They did seven books, three to four, which were his, and three others. He's got two co-writers 
Um, so, you know, they're on track. Uh, Richard Fox, same thing. I think he just announced who his co-writers were because um, both of them write really detail-specific books. So unlike my choice, which is space opera, which I can get away with, um, you know, putting a, a spaceship that looks really cool on the cover but wouldn't actually fly in space, <laughs> you know, they, they're responsible for figuring out what's the megajoules of a person and, and what's the – if you have a 15-second uh, window to have a space battle because these two ships are flying each other at a portion of light speed and, you know, what happens, I'm like, heck no, you know, boom, boom, crash, pew, pew. That's my story. So um, – they can't go at the same velocity because the stories take longer to check. And in each case, I, I know this for a fact with M.D. Cooper, who's been on the show before, not so much with Richard Fox, but they have a, a good-sized following, and they're making a good living as writers themselves, and then they're just following the path of in, investing some of that money into building a publishing company. True. Richard is also someone who um, has been on others and has mentioned okay. that he is, uh, he's made real good money. Okay. Now, you, you started the year with a desire to improve your author rank. <laughs> Where were you at around this time last year? Okay, so before I ask this question, when I pitched this to you in like November of last year, uh -huh. what were you thinking? I thought I can't imagine how author rank has anything to do with selling books. Okay. Did you think whether or not it would actually help? I As in like – changing the rank itself. I Could I change the rank? No, I didn't think it would. I didn't think it okay. would. No I, no, I thought what you were doing would change the rank. Yes, I thought what you were doing would change the rank, but I didn't know the chicken or an egg kind of thing. You know, what, what mm -hmm. drives what? Mm -hmm. And the reason I thought it would do it is just because as a whale reader, one of the ways that I would um, try to find books, because as a voracious reader... How do you do it? Well, one of the ways, of course, is you get emails or friends, you know, word of mouth. Another way is you go and look at the also bots of the authors that you love, you know, and, and a lot of people understand how to handle that and do that now. But another one is just, you know, I would look at the bestsellers in that particular genre that I was interested in and go, well, who's selling? You know, so I'm like, hey, if they're a bestseller, then a lot of people like them. It seemed kind of mm -hmm. straightforward to me. Um, but to answer your question, I was hovering – if I remember correctly, somewhere between uh, – well, actually, since it was pre-Christmas, I was in the two to three hundreds. I dropped two to three hundred uh, right before Christmas as the trade pubs came in at the beginning of November and started just uh, marketing the heck out of their books. And you see it this year as well. Okay, and I'm not going to ask you today, but I'll say what it was like a week and a half ago or something because I just happened to look and it was like an, one of those oh my god things where I took a screen capture and dropped it into Slack. <laughs> you were yes. 12 in all of Amazon. Yes. yes, that was an awesome day. Yes. So, <laughs> I, but typically under under 50. Um, yeah, typically right now in the last month has been in the in the higher 18 to 29 range. Okay, and what do you attribute that to? But um, it's it's uh, a component of just releasing a lot of books that have sales and the KENP. I mean, um, we've done some calculations before that out of all Kindle Unlimited, we are 0.7 of 1% of all pages read. Almost one out of every page, one out of every hundred pages on Kindle Unlimited is a Cathirian Gamut or Orison book. Which is astonishing. And I was actually listening to another podcast the other day. Because I know what the page reads are in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in your books, and I heard the total page reads, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> I, I, I'd never heard it like that before. I just, I just knew from, from what you were reporting that, about what the number was, but when I heard the total page reads, I'm like, that's kind of astonishing. Yeah, it, it did surprise. The first time I calculated it, it was half a percent, so one out of 200. And when I had seen that myself, I'm like, holy crap, you know. And then, of course, it became a goal to get up to 1%. Yes, yes, <laughs> and not there yet. So, you know, nope. that's next year's show. There we exactly. I mean, 1% becomes 2 We've got it queued up already. Um, what else are you working on now? What's, what's different? The, this model will expand as far as it will expand, but you're always trying different things. What else are you trying now? Well, a few of the things I'll go back to. One of them is we, I like to hack how do we get insurance. 
mm-hmm. right? Because that's one of the core components of the things that are going on. So we're looking into that um, pretty heavily because um, even if we get someone and we're able to help them um, become a full-time writer, now they have no insurance. And so I believe that's why I loved it for SAG-AFTRA. And, you know, we pay, what, 13% to facilitate making that happen. So for every $10,000 in investment, we invest another 1300 in making sure they have insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, we're trying to hack that for our authors and us as well, right? And so that's one piece. But another one is we're going to invest probably a quarter million dollars in trying to crack the traditional publisher area. And that could mean that we, in some cases, work through agents. It could mean that we um, find a, a distribution deal. Um, I had a conversation with Craig this morning and, and Stephen, another gentleman, and said, you know, maybe what we do is either connect in with the distributor or buy them out. You know, it's a situation where people need to realize that um, there are relationships and the quickest way to get there might be to find someone that's mm-hmm. tired of doing it their way and just take them over. So I, 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 guess, I guess what I'm trying to get across here is that you're just like hacking away. Like you did at the very mm-hmm. beginning, you're just hacking away at everything that gets in the way of what you're trying to do. And now, now it's, you know, I want to get my books overseas. I want to make them available in different languages. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. How do we do it? How do we get books in bookstores? Um, how do we, as authors, when we're not getting payroll, how do we get health insurance without going through the – the, the exchanges and uh, mm-hmm. going, going through everything that that involves. Um, anything else, anything that would, would <laughs> surprise me? Um, I mean, I, I think you understand that like we're doing translations, which you're familiar with. Um, it, it's just, it's, we are looking at video. We have audio, right? So we're now doing a, a little 15 second video thing where we're getting the animation done connected with the audio and trying to do some viral marketing, um, different ways of marketing we're looking at. Um, we have two or three different ways that we're looking at doing um, connections with other authors and sharing it at a money level, meaning I will, I will give away 50 of your books if you will give away 50 of ours to your fans. Mm-hmm. And the part of the reason for that is, is there's a huge discrepancy at times with doing email exchanges, which I'm not a fan of. And that's just a personal thing. I think it works great for others. Um, I will just do it. I don't, I don't want a quid pro quo. If I want to help you, I'm just going to announce it to the fans and say, Hey, here's a great author. But I took a step up a couple of months ago and I did one day where I gave away four books, paid for them, helped the author, pushed the books. They got more sales. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that there's something to be said for that because, People win them, and believe it or not, your fans love you, or at least our, my, our fans have loved us as we support other authors. And I think that there's a lot of times when some authors are out there going, I don't want to share my fans because you know there's a, a limitation on, on how many they can do. Yeah, there are two, two schools of thought there. It's, it's either the, the, the world is full of readers and you, you cannot give them enough good books – or mm-hmm. people are only going to read two books a month, and I want it to be mine. Yes, and true. And your readers are the kind who can't get enough, even if they buy every book that you publish. We, yeah, we have a, a couple are now going, holy crap, I've got four to do. <laughs> but um, a lot of them are like, and they're thankful. You know, it's like, I have something to look forward to, so that's really, really nice. Uh, one other thing that you're doing this year, coming in November, I think in November – um, you had a tra- formerly traditionally published author come to you and ask yes. you to publish his book. You want to talk about that for a minute? Because this is not a, it's not a co-writing thing. It's not a collaboration. Mm-hmm. It's they want LMBPN to publish the book. And I, actually, I pitched him. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Mark Steigler. He's from Bayon Books originally. He had published quite a few in Bayon Books. And through a relationship with his wife, I got to meet with Mark. They live here in the, you know, about 45 minutes outside of Vegas. And so we had lunch. And, you know, I have a huge, huge, huge respect for those authors who have history. You know, I'm only two years old. I'm a young whippersnapper when it comes to this stuff. And, you know, I see some of the greats and and some of those. And um, I see what we make, right, Mm -hmm. versus 
what you make if you go traditional. And that traditional is really not changing. Even in Frankfurt this year when we were there and we listened to some of the things that are going on, some of the traditionals are like, okay, we're going to buy fewer books because we're going to focus better on, on the ones we have and we're going to probably up the velocity. But what's up the velocity to them from one book to two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with Mark, I was like, you know, Mark, I want LMBPM Publishing to be a house where traditionally published science fiction authors have an option. And I would love you to be that person who cracks it with LMBPN and says, you know, we have a traditionally published man who has been in the industry 20 years, 25 years. And, you know, let us, please let us publish this with you. And, you know, if nothing else, he'll learn the business and then he mm-hmm. can decide whether to be with us or go indie. You you honestly felt like it was the best thing for him to do, not to publish. I th- you probably encouraged him to do it himself first, to just self. I did. <laughs> I did. I said you have three options. Obviously, you have the publishing with the relationships that you have already. You understand that one. I don't. I understand how to do it, and I would encourage you. And I'll, I will answer all the questions you want. You pick up the phone. Here's my phone number. Call me. I'll walk you through it. Or. I'd be happy and honored to do it. We will undertake the financial burden of this, that, and the other. And this is how we will operate the percentages. Um, he gets the lion's share. And, um, you know, we, we just are having a blast getting to do it and working through it with him. All right. For, for someone that's out there making $100,000 a year as an author and their expenses are a little on the low side and they've got some money to invest would you recommend that they kind of follow the path that you've taken? That would be an interesting question because I'd have to follow up and, and ask, okay, what genre are we talking about? What are your cover costs, editing costs? Because those two are, are huge. If you can keep your cover costs and your editing costs down, then I think that they can do a collaboration. If they have a universe that, that warrants somebody else being benefited from it, right? Because everything that we do in Elevin VPN, we look at it and go, why does the author want to be with us? What are we offering them? Are we offering them access to a readership that's voracious? Great. Do we offer them a universe that people are already excited about? Wonderful. Um, are we offering them the ability to get a, a complete step up in the quality of what they're doing? Some of the collaborators didn't have access to you know, major editing support, mm-hmm. just in time, operations, covers, audio. I mean, we bring a full suite of services, and everyone's having a good time. It's now like it's it's a group of people. It's a cooperative to the best of way of explaining it. Okay, and so you've been doing this for two years now. And mm-hmm. when we first talked, I know you weren't a big email list guy. You weren't a mm-hmm. big let's do things the way everyone else is doing them guy. Mm-hmm. Um, anything change or it's just? We have about 3,300 people on the email list, of which 1,700 typically open. That tells me right there that email is important, but it's not the end-all, be-all. We spend way too much in ineffective advertising at the moment. Um, and so we are, we are really focusing on, on narrowing that down. We've put a moratorium on adding new authors into the fold, into the two universes, so that we can get our operations and our processes down. You know, And I think that's really important related to that. So... We have those things in place. So essentially what you're saying is, is marketing has been a struggle. Even at the level that you're at, marketing yes. is a struggle because it's a struggle for everyone. Yes. Yes, I definitely think so. And, and so I'm, um, that would be the, the place that I would say we're having that in processes. I mean, when you go up from one book every five weeks or six weeks, and now you're doing 15 a month, Mm -hmm. and it's not for two authors, it's for 10 (laughs) or 12, and you're balancing who's getting what marketing, and you're actually having to start playing a calendar to go, you can't have Tuesday because we have this book coming out, so we have to move it to this day. You know, I've even moved my books because most people will say, don't, for whatever you do, don't release on weekends, and I'm like, screw it, I'll just release on the weekend. (laughs) What's the, number one, what's the number one priority going into 2018 for LMBPN? Um, I believe it is going to be our processes so that we can, if we would like to grow, we know most of the pieces, but our operations need to be able to handle not 20 authors simultaneously, but 40 authors simultaneously or 60 authors. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we have to get our artwork 
and our art organized, because that is by far the most challenging piece that we have going on right now. Okay. Um, two years. You have book 19 in the Catherian Gambit series coming out. If this show goes out on the second, the, the book is coming out on the third. Um, congratulations on that. You will be you. at 20 books to 50K this weekend. I will be there as well. I'm leaving tomorrow. You, of course, are already there since you kind of sort of live there. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 450 of our closest friends are going to be there. It's going to be a blast. We've already got, I mean, I was meeting with Stephen and Craig and Michael Cooper and, and just others that I know are in town already. Mm -hmm. And I just got texted, Jay and Chaney is going to be here at 845 tonight. And so it's just, you know, it's starting. And it is exciting. I mean, Vegas itself is exciting. And we're off the strip because we know better. You don't put 430 or 50 authors on the freaking strip and expect <laughs> them to come in and listen to you talk about art marketing. It's like, screw you. I just won 20000 at the slots. <laughs> And there is some sort of an LMBPN event Thursday night. There is. Um, you know, I, I think that indies, and by and large, there's, as a publishing company, I wanted to put a stake in the ground that said, not only are we here, you know, but heroes roar. And so we have an event that's going to be close to 80 people at the top of the Delano Hotel and, um, I, I went all out on it, and so hopefully the stories are there. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to ruin it or even say anything else necessarily. But it includes our just-in-time people, it includes fans, it includes authors, it includes narrators, whoever could come in that was part of it that wants to just celebrate indie publishing. Um, we tried to, to reach out to. And so this this is a different way. It's a different type of publishing company, and you know what else would we expect from Michael Anderley? No, thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you for being here again. I think this is our fourth time, our fourth fourth time uh, doing this. It is. Uh, one was with Stephen Russell to explain yes. the production manager. Yes. Editor stuff. Yes. So uh, thank you for doing this. Have a great time at the conference. Have a great launch with book number 19. And I've seen your production schedule for the rest of the year. And uh, good luck with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate and it. Thanks everybody for listening. We will we are back doing the show again. I'm going to be recording a lot of episodes while I'm in Las Vegas. So uh, we'll be back on a regular schedule again here right after this. This show's gonna drop on a Thursday, probably odd days, not always Monday going forward. But uh, we'll try and be here once a week. And thanks for listening and thanks for still being here after my two month vacation. Yeah, no, thank you, man. Dude, I'm so happy that you're back. <laughs> <laughs>